Hi, everyone. It's Jen DeWall. And on today's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, I am talking to AI thought leader, Sarah Alt. Sarah is the founder and CEO of the Ethical AI Consortium, a nonprofit membership organization of industry partners, institutions of higher education, and professionals who are dedicated to the awareness of ethical and responsible use of advanced algorithms, analytics, automation, and AI. Whew. That's a mouthful. The EIAC supports the development and recognition of ethical AI leadership in organizations, government, education, and research. Sarah has over 20 years of experience in the technology industry, and she continues her mission to create a more explainable future. I could go on about her background. She has a tremendous amount of experience from working with setting standards at the Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers to European Commission's AI Alliance. There is so much that you're going to gain from Sarah. And you know, my hope is that for you that are new to AI, that Sarah helps you get intrigued and engaged in such a compelling and amazing technology that we have at our hands. Enjoy today's episode as we talk about the myths of artificial intelligence. Hi, everyone. It's Jen DeWall, and I'm so excited to be sitting down right now talking to Sarah Alt. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us in our conversation all around artificial intelligence. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me, Jen. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, we're happy. So Sarah, for people that may not know you or may not be familiar with your work that you do within the space of AI, could you just go ahead and introduce yourself for us? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, we I recently founded the Ethical AI Consortium, which is a nonprofit organization here in the U.S., focused on bringing uh, standards and governance models uh, from sort of the marketplace around AI, and in particular as it pertains to ethical and trustworthy, uh, responsible use of AI, and bringing that to organizations that need uh, that need help with that. That have made a commitment for their ethical AI journey. Uh, we do a lot of research and development to get them the information that they need and to bring them on board with the various frameworks that are available to just how do I navigate everything that's going on in the ethical AI space and make sure that um, that you can sort of navigate that awkward dance of, am I responsible for this? Is it my vendors and suppliers that are responsible for it? Who all um, plays a role in making sure that we're both buying and using AI in trustworthy and ethical ways. So that's what we're doing with the EAIC today. What does that mean? And, and I know we're going to talk a little bit more about AI, but for someone that might be unfamiliar of attaching ethics to artificial intelligence, because we might think of that, that's technology. Why would I have to add ethics right. to that? So at a high level, what does it mean to actually have ethical AI? Yeah, so I think it really boils down to a really important word, which is trust in our technologies. and. Because humans are developing these technologies still today, yes, there may be a day when technology is developing itself and there's no humans involved. We just, that day isn't yet here. And so humans are still developing these technologies and they're developing it for other humans to either make decisions or or at least um, get recommendations to make decisions from it. And so being ethical and responsible in that is making sure that we're not violating fundamental human rights, that we're not amplifying biases, that we're not discriminating against human beings, potentially not even purposefully or knowingly, but maybe unconsciously or unintentionally. 
And it's sort of making sure that we're doing that in um, sort of a safe and responsible way. It does not necessarily mean that we're rushing to legislation or to make laws as much as it is to just making sure we understand how to be more trustworthy and how to be more ethical when we are using these technologies because we want to embrace them. Technology is a great thing as long as we know that we're making good decisions with it. Yeah. And I thank you so much for just clearing that up because I think knowing the topic of AI for someone like me is is still relatively new. So, and I, nap, I absolutely am the person that thinks of, oh, it's technology or, oh, it's robot, right? It's artificial intelligence. And so I don't necessarily think about ethics initially. And I think that's an important bridge. It's not where we're going to go in our conversation today, but it is important to think that yeah, this is technology, but it's also a tool. It's a skill. It can be used for a great, for maybe not so great. And we need to understand um, how to make sure that it's doing things in a responsible way. But today we're actually going to be sure. talking about the AI myths. Why do you think there are so many myths around AI? Yeah. So we found that this debunking these myths is probably is like the, a great place to start with most audiences because AI sort of feels like this mythical thing that we're supposed to be both fascinated by, but we end up being potentially frustrated with. How do I take advantage of, of AI? I know I'm supposed to be listening to the fact that these technologies are coming, but what does that, what does that really mean? And what does taking advantage of AI or incorporating AI in our business or our organization really mean? And so we like to start with the myths because it helps us, again, sort of as humans to consume this, to basically understand, is this something that I need to be like excited about, afraid of, a combination of those? So that's what we like to do with, with these myths. Right. Well, and there's so much that I, I don't know. So I absolutely right. know that I'm probably leaning into assumptions that I'm making about this, but let's dive into one of the myths. So I know that we have a few that we're going to talk about today, but one of the myths is attaches robots with AI. What is that right. myth specifically? Right. So this is like the first real aha moment for most people that we talk with, because there's, again, this sort of this mythical view that's been either implanted into us or that we've arrived at ourselves that if, the, if, I, if I don't have robots, like if I don't see robots here next to me, then I must not have AI yet. And so I'm good, right? And so some of the, what we remind people is that some of the most basic components of AI, algorithms, data, analytics, machine learning. These are really basic components that, of course, in, in the proper recipe and with all the great intelligence that's put into building AI, um, produce some very um, powerful um, automation. But these have been around in the workplace for a long time. So we invite people to use the term artificial intelligence more broadly to mean a computer program that uses data to execute a task that a human would typically perform. By that definition, AI is not really new. Robots have been performing human tasks for a long time. We've had, you and I have talked about, we've had robots in manufacturing facilities for decades. But the volume and variety of data that we have available to us, the speed at which we can process it, and the ability for the machine or the AI to learn more sophisticated human-like decision-making, That these are what, what's making AI more interesting and novel than any other automation that we've seen. And it's where things can get a little bit slippery when you're not certain about the quality of the data that we're feeding the machine. So we shouldn't wait for robots to show up at the door to suddenly take responsibility 
for how the basic components are developed and used in our organizations or how we program them or how we sell them. If any part of your decision-making in your organization today uses algorithms, advanced analytics, or any kind of advanced automation, then you have, we invite you to consider, then you have some version of artificial intelligence, even without robots. And we need to focus on the quality of our decisions um, and take more responsibility for those machines. So is this maybe the time to say that AI would be for all the people, and I know many people have made this, this joke, but that feeling hey, I just looked at this on Google and now it's showing up in my social media field. What in the heck is happening? That is artificial intelligence. Absolutely. That's an algorithm. In its simplest form, that's data, which is who are you and what are you looking up? And what what are the results of what you're looking up? And what do you do with those results? Do you click on it? Do you pause there? Do you stare at it? Do you consider it? And, And the algorithm taking all those data points and making inferences, making decisions, making recommendations that eventually then say, oh, if Jen's interested in that, then she must be interested in this. So it's, an, it's, it's a simple algorithm, very complex, but in its simplest form, it's an algorithm that is helping to guide that decision. And so really, without robots, we are, we're using and we're exposed to AI every single day. Oh my gosh, it's... Yeah, it just it, it still is relatively new. I remember even being, I think, getting my master's. This was almost 10 years ago. And just thinking about how people were starting to really use data in their marketing to understand who their consumer was, what they need. Even I think they give examples of a retailer, even being able to understand and project like where someone was, like if they were pregnant, if they were a mom, when they should send them the yeah. next thing. Like it yeah. wow, the ways that AI can think is is pretty incredible. I mean, I know there's the the spooky side, and that's not what we're here to talk about. But it's it's really amazing. AI is around us, whether we realize it or not. So another one yeah, of the myths. Sure. Oh yeah, another one of the myths was you know all around data scientists, like kind of like innovation, how they assume research and development is responsible for innovation. Right. And I think AI gets the same assumption that hey, there's yeah. someone over there in the corner that's responsible for our AI. But what is that myth? Yeah, I love your R&D example because that um, I've often used that one as well, um, that we want to have innovation embedded in what we do. And likewise, the myth that we um, are trying to sort of debunk and help help organizations understand is that this idea of, wait, we need data scientists in order to explore AI, don't we? And so therefore, when we talk about the fact that we've already kind of already, we have AI in our workplaces, it sort of follows that since we've been making these decisions even before or without data scientists, we don't necessarily need them in order to explore AI. And to be fair to all those data scientists out there, this is not to say that they aren't valuable or necessary. They, they absolutely are. But it's more in when we, when we have this conversation with organizations, it's to remind them that the disciplines and competencies we need in order to get the great value out of AI investments can and should be built into many roles. You shouldn't just package it up and say that's for the data scientists to worry about. Because in fact, the data scientists I talk to, they want their colleagues in other business functions to be skilled at working alongside their awesome stuff that they're building. They don't want to be the only person in the organization that is responsible for making sure that um, that it meet, that it fits its purpose, that it meets the needs, and that it isn't biased or discriminatory, there's there's actually a real condition in in decision making today called the automation addiction. Even so far as automation bias, 
this ever-evolving list of unconscious biases that we have. But this idea that if I rely or over-rely on technology and automation to tell me what to do or, um, or what or how to believe, then we're at risk of making too many decisions based on an automation that was built by somebody that perhaps not, again, not maybe intentionally, but maybe unintentionally had built bias into it. So we can't, you know, completely turn off that part of our brains of critical thinking and making sure that it makes sense, it's fit for purpose, and that we're using it the right way. And so we want to upskill and reskill all of our talent in our organizations to work alongside the AI not just only rely on our data scientists to bring that. I love that. It's all about the upskill of that. And I think you you nailed it, thinking about it as something that we want to build into every single level from our frontline you know, to the C-suite. We should all be able to have the skill set to allow us to leverage the power of AI, to implement AI in the way, or even if you're maybe more frontline, to execute and utilize it so it can capture that data that you need for future decisions or strategies or growth, right. what have you. I, you know, right. And I think it's really empowering because I think that makes the, the subject of AI feel more attainable to think, oh, I, I could do this. I can look at this to figure out you know, how we could potentially leverage this piece of data instead of feeling like, I don't know, that's data and I'm afraid of that. and I don't know what to do with it. Or I'm not an analytical person, so I can't understand it. Like your approach makes it feel like I could probably learn this. Yeah. And this whole idea of, um, because I love that phrase, I often hear that, right? Which is this, oh, I'm not good at math or I'm not an analytical person. Um, that's okay. We don't want you to only be um, good at math or good at data science in order to understand how to work alongside AI. In fact, I would argue in some cases, we need that diversity. We're encouraging in, in most cases to bring in these, um, these other sort of experiences and expertise to the table much earlier in the thought process and in the buying or development process of AI so that frankly, so that we can eliminate or reduce the, the biases that could result, um, if anything, just for the purposes of making sure we don't make mistakes. But also another side benefit is the earlier that people are engaged from these other areas of your business in that thought process and in um, e- even in the decision-making process of bringing AI or automation to your workplace, the more likely they are going to be to adopt and be willing to work alongside that, the AI instead of refusing it or, or uh, fearing it. Uh, so get people, in, essentially invite people into the conversation to evaluate, right. to try it, because you're, you're introducing change. And we all know that people struggle with change. It takes us time to adapt, but bring them in at the beginning instead of waiting until you maybe have found these, you know, the ways that you can use it and then trying to force people to use it. Show them right. how it can make it better. Fantastic. So another one that you talked about, I think this is one of my favorite, but the set and forget, because I I can absolutely see companies doing this because I feel like I do it on my own. If I can ever look at technology, you know, it's, Hey, what can I do to simplify something for my life? And then never think about it again, but the set and forget myth. Yeah. So this uh, is also one of my favorites because having, you know, bought and been on the buy side of software equation for many years, you know, I have the scars left to prove um, that we've spent millions of dollars on software platforms. And so this myth of I paid a lot of money for it, so I should just be able to set it and forget it that we, um, we've already invested in it. And so it should be fine, right? 
And this was even hard for me as a technology professional to make that shift in my career. But um, today, uh, you know, technology changes rapidly. The days of perfect software before it goes to market are like long gone. Software is very iterative. We update apps and software regularly to fix bugs and add features. As more data, more variety of data points and faster processors become available, the upside is we get to take advantage of that. The downside, of course, is that that investment that you made initially, yes, does carry a sort of a maintenance and an upkeep requirement that sometimes can surprise people. But likewise, the governance and the standard for what is lawful and acceptable or preferred in the way AI or any technology behaves also change in time. What is one day considered acceptable practice in one culture may not be acceptable in a few years later, or what is acceptable in one culture may not be acceptable in another culture. So AI is no different in that it is constantly evolving and learning. And this is, again, why we remind uh, our members and our clients not to take our eyes off the adjustments we need to make for the more responsible use of that technology, as well as the technology itself. There's this belief that it should just work, especially if it costs so much money to implement, and I totally get that. But those critical sense-making and critical thinking skills that we talked about that we want to have people you know, working alongside the AI are really important to make sure we're training the algorithms to meet the standards, the protocol, and the cultural nuances of where it's used. So real quick example or story from my own aha moment regarding AI in the workplace. We, a few years ago, we posted a role to recruit for a manager on our team. And our, our recruiter, our HR recruiter, showed me a batch of resumes, and I didn't really see any candidates in that group that sort of fit what we, were, what we were looking for. So I asked her to go get more candidates. And I totally expected that she would repost it, come back in two weeks right. with a new batch of resumes, and we would sit down and go through it. But she came back two hours later that afternoon with a new batch. And in it, we found a few more candidates that seemed a, a bit of a better fit for us. But when I asked her where the second batch of resumes came from, she said that they were originally screened out. And I asked, well, who screened them out? And she said the system screened them out. And I asked, but how does the system or the software in this case know that it was wrong this time? In this case, it was wrong because what it screened out was actually where I found value. And she didn't know or she didn't have an answer. So I asked, could we update the system? Could we tell it, here's how to do better for Sarah's needs next time? And again, she didn't know that the more I pressed and eventually got in front of the software vendor to do the same, the more apparent that it was to me that no one could explain or was willing to explain because there's another whole different conversation we can get into about the willingness to be transparent about the algorithms. But regardless, in that situation, I realized if I couldn't explain it for myself, I would never be able to explain it for others. And, and I actually became that person, which you know is shameful of me to admit, but I became that person who refused to use the technology because of the bad experience. And I was supposed to be a technology leader. So for me, that was a very much an existential moment in my career where I realized, wait a second, this lack of transparency does not sit right with me. It certainly didn't sit right with me that I'm, I'm pretty sure we weren't biased or discriminatory in that situation. But if we if we had been presented in a situation where we were and I couldn't explain that, that that would not bode well for us. So we weren't even talking about AI in the workplace at that time. It combines the whole we didn't have robots either. We were just making we we're making decisions based on a recommendation from an algorithm in a system. 
And so for me, this was sort of that we need to go back and figure out how do we tune this software or how do we ask ourselves or how do we get to a point where we can feel comfortable explaining the outcome because not being able to, I don't think is good enough. My gosh. And I think you're also bringing awareness to something that I think many people don't realize uh, that there are applicant tracking systems. So when you go to apply for a job, that resume that you uploaded, uh, depending on the format that it's uploaded, will determine whether or not it gets kicked out. I know one of the things for resumes, if it's, let's say, I think if it's in just an Adobe versus a Word where it can't pull out those keywords, it could be discarded. And so I think it's important for people to know that just to know that, hey, do you understand what type of system your organization is using? Or do you understand what type of system another organization could be using? Because I also think that, you know, as a career coach, this is one of the easier ways to say, it's not always just you. It could be a system that automatically kicked you out. And so you don't have to feel bad or feel like you're a bad person or unqualified or not, you know, not confident in the direction you want to go. Because if we don't know how to leverage this technology, there could be things working against you that you absolutely have no control over. Right. And, you know, it's funny because you made me think about sort of this other side of the argument that, well, if we explain it too much, and if we're too transparent about how the algorithm works, people will find a way to beat the system. They'll find a way to put just the right words or do the just the right things to sort of game the system and, and beat the algorithm. And frankly, that's going to happen regardless. I think right. that what, especially in, in, in places where there's fundamental human rights being considered, um, where bias and discrimination can enter, which for like every organization is going to be in your hiring practices, we sort of invite people to say, look, if the worst thing is that people will game the system, you can find that out. You can weed that out. Wouldn't you rather make sure that you weren't introducing or amplifying bias or discrimination in your AI or in your software and that you could explain that so that you could feel confident in that you're not violating fundamental human rights And you have sort of that foothold to stand on while you entertain this whole idea of people trying to game the system because they know how the algorithm works, right? It's, I was just in a meeting this morning and they were talking about algorithms and on a social media platform and that, Hey, initially you could partner with all your friends, have them comment, and then it would, you know, move your, move your quote or your post, whatever, higher in visibility. But once that platform figures out that you kind of have the same people that are doing it, they, they then take that and they can also do the opposite. That's right. That's right. You you can try to beat the system, but there are systems also, I think, built in to anticipate that level of, let's say, I don't, I don't want to call it, I don't know if to, do you call it cheating? Like if it is cheating, this is, I don't know if you call it that. We're just trying to outsmart it. Outsmarting, gaming, um, in some cases cheating, like it, it all depends on sort of that lens that you look inwardly with it on. But to your point, um, still humans should be at least involved in being able to screen that and, and, and see if that's what's happening. And I think that's the part where it's, we often, back to the automation addiction model, we believe that, oh, we've spent all the money for this, so I should be able to rely on the automated decision. And it's not to say like we're fear-mongering. We're not trying to suggest that anybody should be fearful of that, but we are definitely asking for that sort of critical thinking and sense-making to say, 
is this really what we're intending to do with this? And is this really how we were intending to use it? Because remember, and this kind of segues already into our, our next myth, but remember that these technologies are built, the way software manufacturers build this is for the common sort of denominator of all subscribers. Otherwise, they would be tailoring and building custom applications and custom software specifically for Jen's needs. And that's not necessarily a responsible market. I'm s- certain people will offer to do that, but that's not necessarily sustainable. It's just not how the market works. So they build it for that sort of general use. And it's really up to you as the subscriber or the buyer or the user to figure out what are the right configurations that are going to fit our, our culture, both national culture and organizational culture, um, that are going to fit the, the the legal requirements and regulatory requirements of our industry. Like there's a lot of nuances that go into that. And the software vendors know that. And what we're encouraging on the on the software development side is make sure that you're really intentional about saying that to your clients and your subscribers. Don't just assume they know that because they may not. And not because they're not intellectually capable of knowing it. They just may have a reliance on and a bias toward automation, especially when they've spent all that money for it, right? Yeah, it can be hard to think about having to make another investment or long going or long term, you know, in investments. I think the thing that comes to mind for me from a a normal person perspective, if you will, is the concept of a gym membership. You can't pay for a luxurious gym and then assume that by not going there, that your membership alone should be the thing that gets you where you need to be. Nice. Like you yeah. have to put in the work, you have to, you know, assess where you're at. You need right. to set goals. You need to know what machinery is going to work for you. Yeah. I mean, if I look at my gym, I might be more of a set and forget person, <laughs> but I feel like you can't do that <laughs> in the AI. That's great. No, I totally get it. It's a great analogy. Hi, everyone. It's Jen Dewell, and I just wanted to drop in with a quick note. Do your managers know how to build an effective team? Can they create an environment where teamwork is encouraged while setting appropriate benchmarks and delivering projects on time? Are they able to align expectations so their team works effectively toward common goals? You hired the right team. Now let us help you develop them. Crosscom offers a robust leadership development program that focuses on results. Each month, participants learn and apply key leadership skills and tools that will unite teams and drive organizational growth. We are serious about accountability. After each class, we help participants apply those leadership skills in group coaching sessions. Are you ready to take your leadership development to the next level? Contact us at crosscom.com so we can help you develop your leaders. And now, Back to our podcast. The next myth is, yeah, my, my technology vendor. What, what's the myth that people have around, I guess, the, the expectation that they think the person that builds the technology has or what they have to do and offer them? What's that myth? Yeah, so very early on, you could get away with this, which is this idea that, well, it's the vendor or supplier's responsibility if I make mistakes with AI, right? And so very early on, when the market was sort of immature and even our legal advisors were um, a bit still catching up with the, with the software game here and with AI in particular, you could get away with that. But very quickly, um, things have changed. And, and, and there's an expectation both law in, in the practice of law, but also just in good um, sort of ethical practice, there's an expectation of shared accountability. Vendors and suppliers are responsible, no doubt, for quality and performance of their AI technology, but they're not necessarily responsible for any mistakes or biases 
that already exists in your data or your processes or uh, in how people make decisions with that technology. Your people apply the AI to your data, your decisions, and your processes is sort of the view of the supplier of the, or the vendors and suppliers of software. It doesn't mean they completely wash their hands of it, but if you use my HR um, recruitment as an example, the software that we subscribe to is the same one that the organization down the road subscribes to. They may be configured slightly differently than we are, but in, in, the, in practical purposes of what it's intended to be used for, we were using it correctly. Uh, where we lacked was the ability to explain how it worked in the, in the situation of screening out certain candidates. That screening out may be happening because of data that we were feeding it or ways in which we were using it. So all of this needs to be reviewed and assessed regularly to make sure that we're preventing mistakes. Um, another recruiting example, not to completely stay in recruitment, but I just think that this is, you know, it's every organization for, for the most part has some version of employees. And so we want to make sure that people understand that this is one of the top places that we need to look for this. Um, if you're subscribing, as an example, to an AI-based, some companies will subscribe to like cognitive testing system where after you've gotten candidates so far in the process, you administer some kind of cognitive test to screen candidates to see if they're kind of up to what your cognitive expectations are. If your measure of successful candidates even partially considered past candidate success, so your data that you have fed it was based on Jen was successful in her role. She stayed in her role for two years from the time that we hired her. So that's because we've taught the algorithm that Jen's cognitive results are goodness for our organization. But if few or none of your past candidates had a cognitive disability, for example, you could be unintentionally biased against those candidates. And because recruiters feel they can trust the AI, going back to our point about automation addiction, more than human screening, you may unknowingly be amplifying this bias against people with a cognitive disability. It may be your own data, processes, and people that we need to tune for that not even because, again, you were intentionally trying to do that, but because your data did not have historically represent the population that you may be needing to serve today and making sure that it is non-discrimination. So that's just another recruiting example of how we need to make sure that it's not just, we don't just take the software that the vendor gives us and we say that it must be good. And therefore, if it's bad, it's only their fault. It also is a responsibility on how we use it and the data that we feed it. Yeah, it's like going to a car dealership and buying a brand new car. And then if you don't pay attention to the traffic signal and get into an accident, you can't go back and say, right. well, you did this. It was the car. Right. <laughs> but I think yeah. that's important. Like, I, I love that. I think that's a really important thing to, to note because I, and again, the thing that we have to remember is that for most people, you likely aren't the ones that are developing the software. You're the ones that are learning how to partner with the software. And so, yeah, it's understand. you need to understand how it works. You don't necessarily need to be as concerned about intent if you're not programming it, but you need to understand how it might be making decisions for you or what specific decisions it's making on your behalf. Yeah, we recently saw this also play out in a really significant way regarding facial recognition AI used in law enforcement. There have been several instances where the AI has shown bias in skin color, and it may not, again, have been the intention of the AI developers, back to your point. It may have been an unconscious bias. It may have been the data that was used to train it. Um, it could have been the data that was used by the specific law enforcement subscribers, though, 
that was already biased against any offenders that were not Caucasian. Mm-hmm. Whatever the precise reasons are for that bias, major software companies supplying the AI for law enforcement either paused or completely exited that business as a result of what they learned from those mistakes, at least until the practice can be better understood. And, but, but the point here is that they took some level of accountability. They shared that accountability with their law enforcement subscribers to say, listen, it's not ready. It's maybe it's not ready just for your specific use. Let's let's learn from this. Let's teach ourselves. Let's teach the algorithm. Let's teach the AI how to um, to understand and make sure that we aren't um, uh, biased and discriminatory in how we're using the face facial recognition in that in that law enforcement instance. Yeah, our ethics. So let's let's yeah. go into that that fifth one, which I feel like is absolutely the one that yeah. me as a non AI or if that's a thing, um, as someone that's outside of the land of artificial intelligence, that AI will replace all humans in the workplace. I feel like we've right. been fed that one, that all yeah. of our jobs are going to be gone pretty soon. Yeah. Everything's going to be done by a robot and we can't embrace it because it's out to get us. Um, but right. Yeah. What is that myth? Why do people have that myth? Yeah, so a lot of that has to do with cultural um, placement of and the way in which, um, you know, for all very good reasons, we want to see advancement in technology. We want to see, we want to continuously see it evolve. And I think if you study any of, um, you know, Moore's law or anything else about how fast technology changes, it just feels like a sort of in some cases, like I said earlier, sort of fascinating to think about the process or the idea of robots replacing or AI replacing all humans in the workplace, but also frustrating at the same time because you realize, wait a second, does that mean that AI is going to replace me, right? And so there's no doubt that, I don't know the exact year, but there there recent um, graduates or people entering the workforce in, in pretty much most countries in the world can expect that that they're going to be working alongside AI sometime in their career from that point forward. And it's not that long ago, but certainly that they're going to be uh, working alongside. What we see is more of a preference for uh, cobots or collaborative robotics. Robots mm-hmm. that um, operate maybe at slower speeds or that are fitted, slower speeds than maybe you and I think of robots like in an automobile manufacturing scenario where they're working really fast, but that's because they're tuned for one specific task. We're talking about AI that's like learning and evolving even as even in its you know active state that it's sitting there right next to you that kind of thing we see that more being collaborative that you are going to be working alongside them um we're seeing applications like this for example in hospital settings where we have ai powered robots that are running manual routines that normally a human being would do like taking samples, taking test samples, and delivering it to a location. Now, you could say, well, that's just robotics. Well, in some cases, there is AI built into that robot, though, to make a better decision about the path that it's going to take or um, or how it knows whether or not it's doing the right thing. But this, again, brings opportunities forward for those critical thinking and analytic skills that we want that we need to have as we're working alongside the robots. Um, you know, we're actually really looking forward to opportunities where um, where robots and AI can replace humans in very dangerous jobs or menial tasks that help 
to sort of regain, um, you know, fulfillment and job satisfaction with the right investments and upskilling and reskilling people in these jobs. There's that hope for more fulfillment and job satisfaction because I don't need to be worried about uh, very dangerous tasks or I don't need to be sort of demeaned by these menial tasks. And so we're really looking for opportunities to um, elevate where we're working alongside the robots, not necessarily replace them. Yeah. And I think that's exciting then to look at it like that. They are true partners here to also provide potentially a greater job satisfaction for you, or at least a safer job. um, If it is a task that, you know, is more hazardous. So it sounds like there's a lot of ways that we can actually embrace AI, but what is the thing, like, what advice would you give for leaders today? Like what, what would you say they need to do now in terms of AI? Yeah. And so obviously from our work, we're very focused on the ethics and the ethical and trustworthy use of it. So from that standpoint, we absolutely invite organizations and leaders to, you know, prioritize where your, um, where your greatest value is going to be from your AI investments and prioritize where to look. Because uh, as we said earlier, you're probably already making um, sophisticated analytical decisions elsewhere in your business. And almost all organizations, you can start with recruiting and hiring and and any of those areas where you're making decisions about employees and kind of work from there as your priorities. And, you know, really ask um, what seems like a fairly simple, straightforward question, but perhaps one that we haven't really asked um, sort of in this, in the light of this setting, which is how are we using algorithms to make decisions today? Um, make sure that you're following laws in those areas, you know, and, and hopefully you are, and then take the next lens with that, which is, okay, we may be following laws, but, or, and is this representative of the ethical use and the ethical practices and of the cultural norms, both national culture, but also corporate or organizational culture that we, um, that we live by. And one of the most important things that we coach uh, organizations on is make sure to define what transparency and explainability mean for you. You know, my earlier example of nobody could really explain to me how the technology works. That's a pretty risky situation when you're talking about a recruiting or employment situation. So you don't want to be there. Um, And so what we invite organizations to think about is just as we're sort of auditing our systems for their for example, for their fitness for financials or for um, auditing our processes to make sure that we're following regulatory and compliance, we're inviting organizations to think of doing the same thing with their advanced analytics or advanced automation is to uh, ask the questions, are we compliant from an ethical standard, an ethical standard that we have set or that we have shared um, with others? And make sure that you're making those changes, that you're committed to making those changes internally, but you're also holding your vendors and suppliers to the same. The good news is built carefully and in the right context, AI has the potential to actually be used to de-bias human decision-making. If you think about it, again, whole nother podcast. Yeah, I was going to say, what? (laughs) If something's built on bias, how can we then use it to... That is so interesting. there are ways to do that. And, and back to my data scientist friends who were probably getting a rash earlier when I said they weren't important, they are. And they're exactly the, the, the people that can help us to build the right technologies that actually take the bias out, again, if they're done so properly. For now, it still remains up to humans to make sure that's done right. And that's what we have to hold ourselves accountable for. 
gosh. Sarah, I've really enjoyed our podcast. I also loved, you know, even closing, just thinking about what you can do right now. And one of the pieces is just see if you can understand it in a way that you can describe. It doesn't have to be in a way where you understand the back end programming because I wouldn't be able to speak to that, but I want to at least understand how it works. So be curious about how it can help and also just what could be potential blind spots that could get in your way down the line if you set and forget. But Sarah, thank you so much for uh, joining us on the podcast. I do close every single podcast episode with our one question, which is what is your leadership habit for success? Yeah, thank you. Um, It's funny because that just tees up my answer as well, because I I just... um, I believe that being okay with not knowing all the answers is is okay. Be comfortable in your willingness to ask questions with a genuine commitment to learning. Uh, again, having answers is important. Having a vision is important. And being mindful and intentional about asking questions. I just find that we arrive, when we're working together and collaborating together, we arrive at so many more um, aha moments and quality decisions when we've just had a chance to ask some questions and uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're not committed to, or we don't, um, we we're going to flip flop our answers, but we're just going to make sure that we understand it and that we see it from others' perspectives. And I think that's just been where I've seen the most success with our, um, with, with our leadership and with our teams when we're working together. Practice curiosity. Make it right. like make it there, and I think it's important to note because AI does feel intimidating, and but there's so many nuances to it, and I love even just the belief that bias exists means that there's going to be someone that can't know everything about it, because then there's right. likely a bias there. Sarah, thank you so much for just sharing your knowledge, sharing your um, your wisdom, your insights, and everything with our leaders. I it was it was a joy to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining in on our podcast today with Sarah Alt. Now, for more information about her organization, the Ethical AI Consortium, or how you or your organization can start your commitment to the ethical use of algorithms, analytics, automation, and AI, you can connect with Sarah on LinkedIn and follow the EAIC's progress at explainyourai.org. And of course, don't forget to share this with your friends. Help spread the news about AI. And if you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to leave us a review on your favorite podcast streaming service. 